This is Twa Teams One Street from the Evening Telegraph, the only podcast as obsessed with Dundee and Dundee United as you are. This week, Court's first crisis at United. Griffith's wonder strike can't save Brave D. And Covid's causing chaos. Hello, welcome to Twa Teams One Street, the last show of 2021. Although if you've seen that Leonardo DiCaprio documentary on Netflix, it might be the last show ever. So, what are you mouthing, boys? Well, that's just a movie. Is there not really a comet <laughs> coming to the earth? Moral of that story, don't drink your Christmas bottle of port while watching the TV. Anyway, I'm Tom Duthie. Along with me as usual, Graham Finnan. Hello, everyone. George Cran. Hello. And in an unbelievable technological development for two teams, live from London, it's me, you and Smith. Hello, how, how are you doing, everyone? <laughs> well, I, hope, I hope you know that's you. Uh, my accent's not changed. <laughs> it's not changed yet. He's not moved to London permanently, I should let you know. He's actually covering the darts. And uh, with my usual great powers of research, it's because some boy from Arbroath has reached the last 32, eh? Alan Souter, yeah, the, fire, the, the most famous fireman in Angus. Passed me by. I'm afraid darts isn't really my thing, but I, do, I can go... That's three weeks in a row I've actually everybody's in. Get in. See, when I sang Christmas songs last week, everybody's like, what's he doing? <laughs> but you sing the darts and the whole world joins in. They've not, got, they've not got an amazing repertoire of songs, I have to say. They're still singing about Colo Touré and Yaya Touré, and they don't even play football anymore, and it's not a football event, so... That's the kind of, and then they sing to each other about boring, boring tables. So I think the football songs are more inventive and more creative than what we're hearing at the darts, but there you go. Oh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. The company <laughs> spent thousands and you're moaning. I'm not moaning. I'm just, just <laughs> passive I'm, I'm standing in my lo- I'm standing in my lobby, George is in his shed and Bear's exactly. in his attic, and you're in the Ritz in London and exactly. you're moaning at us. I am not. <laughs> anyway, we're we're from where we're sitting, it looks pretty good to us, I'll tell you. We better get on with the football because because he's covering the darts and that's more important, Ewan's got a train to Ali Pali to catch. <laughs> so, first this week, United. And since it's still the season of goodwill, I'll try to start on a high. Declan Glass, great goal against Hibs. The other day was it Boxing Day? No, it's not. Yeah, it was Boxing Day. Day. It's Christmas Sunday. No, it's Christmas Sunday. Boxing Day can't be. Oh, I'm an old stickler. Boxing Day can't be a Sunday. Just pointing that out for the young ones out there who called it Boxing Day. But anyway, great goal. United in a bit of trouble just now. They still lost the game against Hibs. You and is Declan Glass maybe worth a run in the team to try to provide the creative spark, the need in front of goal just now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's mesmeric. If anybody hasn't seen the goal yet, I, I urge you to go and watch. I think I think he beats four players. I mean, he picks the ball up sort of midway inside the half. He dances past a couple of players and there's a couple on the edge of the box and then it's an exquisite finish. Um, he's a quality player, Declan. You know, he's definitely got a lot of talent. Um, but the thing I like most, and I've said this a few times in podcasts, I love his attitude to the game. You know, he's a, he's a lad that was out for almost a year with serious injury, but from what I hear from everybody, he never lost a smile off his face. You know, he's always enthusiastic and bouncing around, t- bouncing around training. And we did speak a few weeks ago. I mean, he had 
he had a, a moment in the, the Motherwell game, which was which is hard to take with your young player. He was he, he didn't have a good night in Motherwell, and after forty one minutes, Tam Courts decided to take him off and sub him. And that's really hard as a player when you're subbed before half time because it's almost making a statement look he's not played well. Um, but he's bounced back for that, and he's got the skill, he's got the guile and the craft, and yeah, definitely get get him in a regular run because that's what United need. They need that creative spark, and he provided it on Sunday, on Christmas Sunday. Um, however, it's, well it was <laughs> it, sadly at that point the game was lost. But you know, in other games, it might be it might be a crucial goal that he provides or a or a crucial assist. Yeah, Bear. It's I mean, it's one of these things that. It's goals are what United desperately need now. I mean, we, we've been banging on about how strong they are defensively, but if you don't score, eventually the pressure on the defence tells, doesn't it? And that seemed to be the case with United. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say as well, with Tom, the, the clean sheets seem to have dried up, haven't they? Um, yeah. You know, that, and that's a worrying aspect also because they were, they were United were one of these teams that they very rarely gave any goals away at all, but now they, they seem to be really struggling to to keep the ball out. I mean, they're not, not losing loads of goals, but they are losing goals. I mean, when you're not scoring at the other end, you've, you've got problems. So I'll go back to the Glasgow, Ewan. I've only seen it the once, but what a sensational goal. You're writing off what a sensational strike it was. Sheer ability. And I'm surprised it's not been shown more. I'm not, I think it's probably because it's during the Christmas period. You haven't seen so much of it on the, on the TV and on Sky. But I'll tell you what, I mean, have, have you what if somebody's seen that down south... You wouldn't be surprised. I mean, obviously, unfortunately for, for United and probably for Glasses, well, the games have now come to an abrupt halt, but there'll be scouts looking at it saying, that lad, he's got a real talent. Mm-hmm. Let's go up there and see, see what's going on because it was an incredibly, incredibly gifted finish and a go with a run as well. I think he had a, a step over with a ball. He dragged it with his studs. You know, everything was in there. Balance, poise. You know, I wouldn't have looked at a place down in, the, down in the Premiership. So, yeah. But that apart, really worrying. I think, I think I mean, the... The, the run United were on a on a sort of a, a poorish type run and, and you always felt that they would turn it around. I think it's gone beyond that now, Tam. I think there are yeah. worrying signs there. Um that are in a major, major slump. And you know, Tam Courts is gonna to have to work hard over this this uh wee break that we'll have. I think they need to freshen things up, there's no doubt about that. And we've heard one or two names being mentioned that they, they could possibly bring in Tony Watt being one. Obviously that would really excite the fans if they could manage to get that deal done. And certainly get it done so that he arrives in time to start playing games in January because you're getting a, you're getting a guy who is match fit and ready to go because so often at this time of year when when teams bring in players they're mile off the mark because they've not been getting a game for the club they were actually at in the first place but you will get somebody who's 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 ready to go and I'm sure there's one or two others that he needs to bring in as well because well you need to do have that that little points cushion that they've managed to build up from the start of the season. The slump suggests that could get eaten into quite quickly. Now, when we're now looking at, there's a wee split beginning to, to, to form in the league. You saw that uh, effectively uh, with the games that we've just had there on, on, on Boxing Day or Christmas Sunday, as you like to call it, Tom. Traditional. The teams at the top, yep, the teams at the top all managed to get wins on the board and the teams at the bottom all managed to lose games. So you're now looking at, I'm suggesting, looking at it from from own point of view as a Dundee supporter, I suggest it's, it's any two from five. But if United keep on this slump, they could get hauled into that. Now, I'm sure that Tam Courts will be looking in the other direction. United fans will, will be hoping that they go in the other direction. But at this point in time, the trend is for United to be going down the way. So they need to address that. And hopefully one or two fresh faces, they can do that. But it is a, a worrying time for them, yeah. 
Yeah, to bring George in here, mainly because as a man who covers Dundee, he knows a crisis when he sees one. Um, <laughs> we've been we've been nice to United about this, but I think it's you know correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it's one win in ten now. One in eleven. It's this. One in yeah. eleven. So thank you for correcting me for right. being wrong. Well, it's a good thing none of you read the notes because I had one in ten in the notes. Actually, so, when you send yeah. them notes a minute before the, we start recording <laughs> and they don't open, there's not much we can do. But George, I mean, it is a crisis now, isn't it? it yeah, I think the, the breaks come at a good time. I think, um, even though it was it was brought forward, I did feel like for the past couple of weeks they really needed to get just a result at least on the board before the winter stop, stoppage came. Obviously, that's been brought forward and it's maybe not helped them. But yeah, not scoring is, is the big concern for me because that Declan Glass's goal obviously was, as the boys have said, an absolutely wonderful goal. But it was scored right in what the ninetieth minute and hadn't scored in the scored right at the end, and they managed yeah. to lose a goal after it as well. Yeah, and that was their only goal in the last five as well, um, which is concerning. To be honest, Declan Glass had no right to score that goal uh, from where he started. Um, that concerns me a little bit as well because the goal that they got in that, those five games wasn't one that was particularly created, uh, yeah. or opened up a defence or whatever. It was a wonderful piece of individual skill. Um, so I, I think Bear's absolutely right. They need they need new faces in um, just to, to brighten things up, give them some new options to help the youngsters because they... I have to remember they've, they've still been affected by the the COVID absences they've had. Um, how many? How many were missing actually? Ewan? Well, I think I think there was three new co- uh, new from the the week before, and there was it was probably I would say it was probably a lineup that had about five players in it that would you wouldn't have expected to start. Um, and mm. Tam Courts, I mean, I'm 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 not trying to defend United here, but he's saying over the the last couple of months they have been hit by oh, bad injuries. Oh yes, you are right. No, but but <laughs> they've, they've they've missed over that period 14 players from a squad, which can it can impact you over that period of time. But mm. I'm not going to entitle. Leicester had nine out against Liverpool and beat them. Yes, I know, I know, I know. It's it's true, that's true. And 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 when you look at the goals record, I'm going to throw in another stat. He said here. bitterly, by the I'll way. I'll throw in another stat, almost just to oh, start, just start. to solidify what George is saying. There. 491 minutes without a goal until Declan Glass scored. Because um, I looked, I looked at the goal, the last goal they scored before the before the four game run, um, and it was like you say, it was almost five games. So it's a long time to wait without a goal, you know. So um, and they got it, and but I think I think it's quite obvious from speaking to Tam Courts that he knows where the problems are. You know, he knows the problems are up front. There, there's a creative issue, despite what we saw from Declan Glass. So I think that you might find that Tony Watt will arrive, and I think we'll find that a, a, an attack-minded midfielder will arrive at Dunyate well, that, as well. That's what I was going to ask you. What What are the chances of Tony Watt uh, arriving in January? He signed a pre-contract, um, although there seems to be... United don't seem to be very keen to confirm what everybody says. Tony Watts people included, I believe, as a fact. But is there a chance they can get him in January? And is it complicated by the fact that United are still hovering about, you know, they'll have top six aspirations. So do Motherwell. Do Motherwell want to let their main striker go to rival? I think he will. I think he will be there in January. That's the short answer. I think he will. Um, And I think it's because United will have some of the money left from the, the Lauren Shanklin sale. And I think they have to 
to put the money down. They can't afford not to buy him in January because, yeah, it'll be a great signing in the summer. Absolutely fantastic. I've no doubts about it. I'm a fan of Tony Watt. I think he, I think he, he he's been on the fringes of getting into the Scotland set up and with good reason. But I think they have to. They cannot afford not to sign him in January. And I think. Despite the fact that they're not confirming that he signed a pre-contract, I think if you read between the subtext of of how Tam Courts was speaking the other day, it's suggesting that the player who will be Tony Watt is more likely to arrive in January than in the summer. So um, I think we will see him. I think he'll be playing for Dundee United when they face St Mirren on January the 18th. And Bear, uh, thanks to Ewan, they'll, they'll have to pay in January anyway, but thanks to Ewan, who's just so emphatically stated the need Tony Watt right now, <laughs> they'll probably have to pay a few thousand more. Yes, well, that's that's the nature of the beast, Tom, isn't it? When you when Motherwell know they're desperate. I mean, he is he is a key key player for Motherwell, but Motherwell obviously had them on the bench at the weekend. They still managed to win the game. So, yeah, I, mean, I think I've seen I've been on a few of the Motherwell fan sites, and they've they've seen they've lost much better players than Tony Watt. Sorry if any Dungeon United fans out there, but so they they're resigned, I think, to the fact that. That he will leave, but yeah, United will have to pay a wee bit more. But it goes for anybody who's buying players at this point uh, of the season, Tom. You know, you you don't really want to to bring anyone in unless you've absolutely got it. Unfortunately, if you're looking around the the, the country, most clubs do want to bring one or two in. Um, I, I would suggest that some of them might get away with not bringing bringing players in, but everyone knows that United can't score goals. They're after Tony Watt. Tony Watt is obviously more well prepared to let him go. So you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to thrash that deal out, and I'm sure they will because, I mean, you're looking at Tony Watt. He's hit a real, a real purple patch. He's put himself right in the frame uh, for international scene. Big games coming up in the new year. The last thing he wants to do is be be caught in a situation where he stays at Motherwell, and you know. He's not in the right right mindset, and and the Motherwell manager's looking. He's obviously knows he's going. Tony Watt would have to get back right back on it. Whereas if he goes to United, he can use that sort of impetus to, to bounce on from where he's at, and hopefully for United that that could benefit them as well. So yeah, United are going to have to going to have to stump up. But that that's a case for for every club who are, are looking for players at this time, and more so if you're a wee bit desperate. And agents know that, you know, Tom. So they they're going to bounce their players around to get the best best deal they can. And that's that's. That's just a remit, isn't it? George, Bear, can I know when you're talking about the transfer yeah. fee, one thing that always strikes me, and, it, and it's not just specific to Tony Watt, but it's when you're in a situation yeah. where a player has signed a pre-contract with another club and they've got the six months and the club, his current club, knows that he's going elsewhere in the summer. Does that not put a little bit yeah. of pressure on them to sell because they don't know if they're going to have a player that's fully focused for the six months. I'm not saying yeah, players are not well, professional, but no. it's, it's, it's the nature of the beast. If you're in a job and you know of you're going somewhere is. else, yep. you st- you do have yeah. part of you, your attention turns to what the future is. And there's also the fact that the fans could turn as well. As much as they love Tony Watt, Tony Watt, he's not got a divine right to go and play well every week. And you could just imagine him having, if he stays at Motherwell for the final six months of his contract... And he has a couple of bad games. The fans could then start pointing the finger at him, saying, "I, you know, they're not going to be too happy. They're obviously going to going to start giving him giving him abuse." And he's saying, "You're leaving in the summer. You're not bothering about us anymore." So yeah, it's, it's a one thing one. in this case, lads. So with Tony White, if there's a player in Scottish football who knows how to handle the last six Aye. months of his contract, because I think yeah. this is he's this will United will be his thirteenth or fourteenth club. You and your yeah. stats, man. I I don't, I don't know, but so you're he's, right. he's, he's been, he's been, he's been there. Clubs. He's done that. Yeah. 
George will tell you, we could go back to Dundee a few years ago when they were staring relegation in the face and Jim McIntyre came in and, you know, we ended up selling uh, uh, mm. Glen Kamara to Rangers for what, what widely regarded as a paltry, a paltry sum for a guy of his ability. But it was the fact that Glen Kamara was not the same player in the final few months of his contact at Dens as the one who he was seen in the previous 18 months. He knew that Rangers were interested. He wanted to go. So that was definitely a case that, well, Dundee fans are going, no, we must we must keep him. He's going to be key to us. No, he wasn't because he had effectively, and he wouldn't say that he's a professional, but he was not the same player. There is no doubt about that. And that's the danger with keeping someone who's, who's signed a pre-contract with someone else. I remember in a slightly different uh, scenario to go back into my personal archive, speaking to Johnny Russell when he'd been linked with Celtic, his boyhood mm-hmm. favourites, in a January transfer window. And that wasn't an end of contract thing. That was a Celtic made a bid, United knocked it back quite early in the month, if I remember. And Johnny was Johnny was like, that's life, I'm a United player. I've got however long it is left on my contract. Totally accept that. But I spoke to him uh, in the February and he said, strangely enough, when he ran out the first game after the transfer window had closed, he said it really affected him. Because he was like, oh, I could have been at Celtic, but I'm not going there now. <laughs> Whereas he'd handled it okay while it was still a live issue, but he did yeah. say for a couple of games, it got into his head and it's it's funny. But I do go back to the thing. I think, I wonder with Tony Watt that United's problem might be that he's so used to moving clubs that he'll have a, a professional attitude about, well, if I go in January, I go, if not. I'm a Motherwell player and I'll play. So he won't be knocking on Graham Alexander's door saying, United have made a bid, why don't you accept it? He'll, he he accepts that he's got a contract and if Motherwell want him to honour it, he might well do. And I do think Motherwell might not want him to go to United. Yeah, there is, there is yeah. that, but it's quite telling, as Barry pointed out, that he was on the bench against Livingston and he was an unused sub as well. That's quite telling mm. for me. That that tells me that they think that either the speculation's affecting them or they're already making contingencies for January because they think, well, he's not going to be here in January, so we need to get our, our, our side. He's a top scorer in the league. There's no reason that I can see that he would be on the bench other than it being something to do with this transfer to Dundee United. Good point, Ewan. And hopefully that means he'll be at Tannadice before January's out. After this... COVID. Right, moving on, chaps. As Ewan's train approaches the station, we'll hold Dundee for later (laughs) because he hates us speaking about Dundee anyway. The other big issue that's affected everybody, every aspect of life, but football's been hit hard, COVID. Dundee, sorry to mention them, Ewan. James McPake blasted the SPL. I saw Derek McInnes, uh, the former Aberdeen manager, saying Dundee having to play that game at Aberdeen on Boxing Day, Christmas Sunday or whatever, didn't make the, the league look good. They had, Dave, they had to have Dave Mackay at 40 on the bench, their assistant manager. United have played with a weakened team at Rangers. St Mirren, who ironically got a draw, have played a couple of games with very weakened teams. Rules is rules, but are the rules right, lads? Dundee actually did all right. Their, their, their first 11 was, was all right. Uh, but a couple of them were, basically hadn't trained after injuries. Um, and 
I spoke to Adam Langston's after that game and he was very much on the... But let's keep it on the COVID thing first. Basically, the rule is yeah. f- 14, 14 players... Uh, if you've got 14 players, including a goalkeeper... Well, that, play, that was, uh, is that right? And the, when, when, when we've got three substitutes, at times we've had five substitutes, is it is it right that the, they can say... As long as you've got 14 at your no, club, I think you have to play again. Sometimes there has to be a wee bit of um, thought put into it rather than just black and white. And what I was going to say about Adam Langston is he brought up that point. It was how can it be fair if one team hasn't got any substitutes effectively and the other team has has a full bench? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the, it's a valid point. And is it... Is it slightly? I mean, this is. I think it's the same rule from the way they're speaking down in England. But they've got this thing in the Premiership down mm-hmm. there that you name a squad of twenty-five players, and you can change it midway through the season. But then you can turn around. They can turn around and say, "Well, here's twenty-five players that are producing a product that you want. We've not got the majority of them. We need a postponement, and clubs get a postponement." Up here, it seems to be that they're looking mm-hmm. saying, oh, you've got a 16-year-old and you've got him that's back running after an injury. Uh, should it be you and a bit more common sense and say, well, they've got you've got enough players who have been on the bench regularly to put out a team, so you can. But if you're bringing in your assistant manager or youth players who have never been seen, is that not a time when you should really have a call off. Yeah, and I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, did Dundee have two keepers on the bench as well? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. A 17 year old, two goalies, and David I mean, it's, who I was very disappointed didn't get on the pitch. I have yeah, to. I mean, honestly, if you were really wanting to make a, a stand against them, you would bring your two goalies on and play them in the middle of the park or up front, you know? And really, I know it would damage yourself, but it would really make an impact, you know? It would put a statement out there. I, I sympathise with Dundee here, um, and I don't know the, the full ins and outs, but they seem to be suggesting if, that it, if, if the COVID things had happened a couple of days earlier, there was more chance of a call off. Is that is that right as well? And I mean, I think so, yeah. And yeah. remember, St. Myrna, St. Myrna have had to play two games depleted teams. United had to do it at Ibrox. It's, it's not right for me. It really isn't. And I think even Tam Courts was almost alluding to us in his post-match about how um, he shouldn't be picking a team on the basis of who's likely to last longest in a game in terms of their fitness. And that's the level that we're at. And I know it's difficult. Um, and I know that we want to keep as many games on as possible. But sometimes we just have to accept, you know, the game can't go ahead. And what would have been the harm in that game being postponed and put back to, to February or whenever it was going to be put back? You know, it's... Well, Aberdeen would have made more money, hopefully. Yeah, I know, I know. And I, I mean, we'll talk about this in a second, but the other thing I, I still can't get my head around is why these games even went ahead in the first place. Why we didn't just put these all off, you know? And I mean, the clubs have been impacted by having to play a home game in front of 500 fans, whereas maybe just accept we, we, we cancel the whole thing until such time. Um, but... Yeah, I, I feel for clubs in this situation. I don't, I mean, I I don't think there'll be many clubs that are at it. You know, if you say you're thinking, oh, well, we just fancy a cancellation today, so we'll, we'll have a few players that will be off and everything and we'll have to put in for a cancellation, even though we could actually play. I think most clubs will be genuinely trying to get a team on the park. And I think Dundee did that. And 
guess they were winning up at one point, so maybe it did. Maybe at one point they were maybe a little bit felt an injustice, and that's what was inspiring them to try and uh, make an impact and and make a make a statement. But I mean, as, as I say, this is sort of this thing's more than Dundee. I, I was listening to the radio uh, on Sunday, and the reports coming in from Ibrox were basically Rangers jogging to victory uh, over St Mirren uh, because. A, they were a very young team. Although they drew with Celtic, as I say, you have to you have to point that out. And B, they were t- a lot of them were tired because it was two games in quite quick succession for a depleted team. And it's just you, you mm-hmm. they throw about the phrase "bear sporting integrity," but it did occur to me again. Maybe my media background, you always think, how does this look in PR terms? They've cancelled games for economic reasons, basically. Mm-hmm. But they haven't cancelled games for the well-being of players or teams, and even not even injuries are are guys that are not match fit. But I, you've seen, I've seen, we've all seen. I've seen usually by bad managerial decisions. I have to say, mm-hmm. young players thrown in when they're not ready, and it can destroy their career. It literally, can destroy their career if you if if you go to a place, any place, and suddenly you go, I'm not good enough for this. And that's their chance, gone. And to me, they've got a duty to protect the game, and that includes players. And I just think, as I go back to the the first words I said there, Bear, they cancelled games for economic mm-hmm. reasons, but not for health reasons. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a Ewan on that. I was, I mean, I was delighted to see that they were holding a meeting. Um, when when the first minister said that we're going to be playing in front of 500 fans straight away. Because financially, that was going to be a disaster losing for, for clubs right across the land, not just for the derby matches, for everyone that's involved in that top flight. But I was absolutely flabbergasted when they said we're going to be playing on the games on the 26th. I mean, that was I was quite astounding. I don't know why they did that. I, I mean, I can, I've got a sneaking feeling the vast majority of clubs wanted to stop, wanted to call it. But you had a couple of clubs, and one of them was Rangers, I believe, who wanted to play on. Um, and I think their weight forced forced the SPFL to come to some sort of compromise, and that was to play one game. And I think that was that was the twenty sixth, you know. But um, I just, for the life of me, it was a great opportunity to go. You know what? We've got this break. Let's bring it forward a week. Let's stop now because you know that this this COVID thing is going to start bouncing around. The Omicron virus is going to just get worse. We can take a three week sort of sabbatical and see where we are at that point in time. But they've gone and played these games, and unfortunately for Dundee, they were hit. And I, I, I've got a great deal of sympathy for for Dundee. But as as we pointed out, they're not one of the only teams that that, that was that were struggling. And um, they did well to get a team on the park, and it, uh, you, you know it would have been like uh, Jim could have put the Jim James McPake, as you say, could have put the integrity of the league in question if he had brought on his goalkeepers and played them as outfield players and brought Dave McKay on as well. You know, because oh, an uh, interesting time wasting aspect. Well, <laughs> Dave McKay may have actually scored with that chance at the end. I've got to say, but we'll, we'll come on to that. Um, I, I think so. Uh, but if you put on, if you, if yeah. why, why not? If you're forced to put two goalkeepers on the right. bench, well, put put them both on. And under the laws mm-hmm. of the game, mm-hmm. every time the ball goes out, you're entitled to change your goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> and how? I mean, what would that I, I know, do for no, the sport? Right. Integrity? I know. It, would be, it would be ludicrous. But in the end, 
you've seen you've seen more ridiculous time wasting yeah. tactics than that. You know what I mean? And, and that's what they're opening themselves up to. Yeah, I've got to say, Otal, I've got to have a, a wee bit of sympathy for the for the SPFL. Yeah, because they they've they've got a requirement to make sure that you know the the games that the season is finished, and we've been here before, not that long ago, and you saw the mayhem, the mayhem that was caused by calling time on the season. You know, just just you know. A couple of seasons ago, you know, it was just chaos. The threat of legal action, etc., etc., and they don't want to go down that route. But I think for one set of fixtures to to give everybody a clean three week break, that you know, I think they, they could have done that. And I always say they're always going about squeezing games in, but surely if you have you say to clubs, well, you know what could happen? You could end up playing towards the end of the season three games a week instead of just sort of instead of just Saturday. Wednesday, Saturday. Yeah. I might be Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday to get this this finished. You do understand that, and I'm sure clubs might have, might have taken it on board. Might, we've got to do that to get this finished. Then we will. But um, yeah, it didn't look good. It didn't look good. Time I've got to say, you know, it it does. Yeah, yeah. George, on that point, Bear says about the you know the fixture. I mean, you you spoke to James McPake, but him and others in the league of like Bear. I've got a lot of sympathy and. Maybe the the thing we should point out is they can't change this rule this season now yeah. because you can't move the goalposts midway through the season. It wouldn't be fair on the teams that like Dundee, St Mirren, others who have asked for postponements and not got them. But uh, I saw Neil Doncaster on Sky and he was saying, "Well, the reason the reason the the, the December twenty six uh, games went ahead was uh, there's only two gaps in the fixture list, and then suddenly James mm-hmm. McPay and others are like, but there's about five. And and it, 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 it's almost like a comedy sketch where the SPL are going, yeah. well, but something really bad might happen. And you're like, well, no, something really bad has happened and that's why you have to act. And and it's like, no, no, it could get worse. So we can't let you, we've got to make you play with your with your bairns. It, it does feel like they just made that compromise. I think Bear's right about it being a compromise with playing the Boxing Day. I mean, it does feel like they just did that because they couldn't figure out how to get how to change the calendar, which makes absolutely no sense. There's a pandemic going on, and you're worried about squeezing games in. Um, which I don't know. It might have changed by now, but I remember around the time of the Scottish Cup semi-finals, there's always a whole bunch of three weeks around then, isn't there? Usually, when the split starts, there's a gap. So, and you and as Pierce says, you've got that thing where. I mean, if, I, if I'm a manager, I would rather play three games in a week with mm-hmm. starting that week with a fully fit squad exactly. than play a game with half my squad missing. Much said. I, I was glad, I have to say, when they postponed at least two of the games. Uh, I thought that even getting one of them postponed, I think, was a, was a success considering how the SPFL generally works and, and nobody agrees and very little people vote uh, other than for for themselves, um, so uh, that was a bit of a success. But yeah, it just felt really strange. The box. <laughs> oh, I'm with you. I almost said boxing. I'm, I'm a Boxing Day fan as oh, well. You might have shouted at me. Yeah. Oh, yellow card. <laughs> but no, it, it just felt odd. They'd had this big meeting, and then suddenly it was just, <laughs> I mean, "Oh, we'll just play anyway." On you, on these school lads. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. It was neither one thing or the other. Is it? Beer is one of the old heads on this show. Is this a classic case of Scottish football? Everyone was, everyone has forever been looking after themselves and not looking at the big picture. 
and maybe in a way, not the individual clubs in this instance, but it's it's like an atmosphere of suspicion because there's such a history of people (laughs) acting out of self-interest. So they're like, are they telling the truth? conspiracy theory. (laughs) It always is in Scottish football. There's something going on elsewhere. Yeah. Did eight of the did eight of the positive tests at a club yeah, have the same serial number? It seems a bit like that. It, it does. Another couple of points that that we bring up. Obviously, there was the financial hit that clubs took. I mean, Aberdeen will have taken a big a big hit for that one mm. game. You know, well, their hospitality them. was was yeah. pretty full. It was yeah. very strange. The stands but, were empty, but the yeah, hospitality know, was full of people. Actually, on that, yeah. just a quick, I saw a few fans of a few clubs complain that the mm. the people who seemed to come out <laughs> in the ballot happened to be at hospitality. That's another conspiracy <laughs> theory. But I've got, I've got to say as well, I mean, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Ange Postacoglu will back me up on this. If there's no fans, what's the point? I saw him after the St. Johnston game and he got, he got a question and he said, what's oh. the point? What's yeah. the point? He says, it's the fans that make the game. If, if there isn't any fans, there isn't any point. If you wouldn't go, I mean, if a, a West End show wouldn't have run if there wasn't any people in the, in the audience in the theatre, Tom. So, I mean, it's just crazy stuff that we're, we're putting games on with no fans in the ground. Well, since since we're basically <laughs> a Dundee City podcast, let's, let's be honest, I've <laughs> never been to McDermott Park before. Hi, yeah, that's, that's a big crowd. <laughs> George, you could feel the complaints, but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm totally with Bear and the fans. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big thing. I, I actually said to my wife before I went to the game, I'm really not looking forward to this game today. And I normally love going to a Boxing Day game because normally in Boxing Day the crowds go up. Normally, normally the guys, the guys and and women are wanting to get out of the house. You know, they've they've had enough yeah. of Christmas, mm-hmm. and then the families go out and everything, and it, and it's and it's such a a great atmosphere, you know. But I said I'm really not looking forward to because I can't. I hate watching football without fans in it. I think that the level of the standard of the game is maybe just me, but I think it drops slightly without the fans there. Drunk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the intensity is not there. You can, mm. you can tell sometimes. I think that's why there's you get big results like we saw and last season, Liverpool getting thumped 7 2. I think I mentioned yeah. that last season. Yeah, no, you're totally, right. you're totally right. The intensity <laughs> isn't there. And it's, and it's maybe just little things it's like. definitely a fact. You know, if a ball's just about to go out of play, you've got a crowd urging a player to keep going, keep going, and you don't have that. So, so the player thinks, oh, I'll just let it run out of play. And it's just, yeah. it's it's like, it's almost akin to watching a pre-season yeah. friendly match. And I, and I don't like that. I need the competitive edge of football. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, and I know, I understand the reasons why fans are not in just now. But I just hope that everybody gets healthy and, the, and, the, and, and I hope it's not going to be extended because my big fear is looking at it and reading between the lines of what everybody said, it's not going to just be for three weeks. And that's that's my big fear that this could go on for months and months, and we could be closed doors football for several months. Yes, it could well be. But ironically, Ewan, because I'm I'm looking after your son, I'm watching your train timetable here. Right, <laughs> it, it's getting close. You'll have to run to the station. You're away to go on a parked train and go to a parked arena. What, what's it like down there? Is there any? Are people paying any attention? I, I've been in England. Um, a couple of times in the last month, because I did go, I did go away um, on my grand tour when I went to all the games. And I went to Manchester and I went to Wolverhampton. And when I went to Manchester, in all honesty, I was in Old Trafford and I didn't see a mask wore in, in Old Trafford. I think it's heightened down here in London. There are more people with masks. There are more people taking care and attention. However, at Ali Pali, I do struggle to get my head around the fact that there's football only being played in front of 500 people in stadia that can hold up to 60,000. 
and I'm in an arena where it's packed um, and you can see the, the fans. The players actually at the darts are told when they walk on they're not allowed to do any fist pumps, which they normally do. They're not allowed to, they're not, they're told they're not even allowed to kiss their wife because their wife and their girlfriends normally stand right at the end of their walk in. They're told they're not allowed I'm told I'm not allowed to kiss my wife. <laughs> that's by my wife. <laughs> but I mean, that's it. So they get up on the stage um, and then the players are supposed to, it's all this social distance having up with the players. And then you look back at the crowd and there's, you know, it's just, yeah. I mean, where I am, I'm not actually in the, the heart of the crowd. Out, yeah. The media bit is, 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 is off stage a bit and you're on the side, so you're kind of looking in, but it's... Close to the bar, yeah. is what you're saying. Oh, the bar's massive at <laughs> Ali Pali. The bar is absolutely massive. I mean, I mean, if, if, if that was at a football match, nobody would watch the game. To be fair, nobody watches the darts. They just they just go to the bar and get pictures. So, <laughs> But anyway, I think, it's, I think the, the general point is that... It's hard to get your head around when you're used to something happening where you live, and then you go somewhere else and you think, God, it's like it's like it doesn't exist. Um, but I think we're seeing. I mean, yeah. I think darts will get a shock because I know this isn't a darts program, but one of the big players, MVG, is out with COVID, and I think that will be the catalyst now to see. So it might be interesting to see whether the whether events down here start to change very quickly as well and follow suit. Yeah, and the other one, the other boy that was on the Flintstones, oh. he was ill as well, eh? <laughs> but, uh, was he already well, out? Well, Van Barnabelt, yeah, 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 he, 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 yeah, he, he had lost his game, but then declared he had it. But he, he's actually, <laughs> I think he's a diabetic, and I think there was a lot of concerns over health. Thing. And irony is, I actually went to a, a press conference with him oh. um, after his first game that he won, and he was talking about he was walking on eggshells about trying to avoid COVID, and he wasn't leaving his hotel room, and he was avoiding all sorts of things, and then he was the first person to declare he had COVID, you know, so it's, yeah, I think the sport and integrity of this tournament can be impacted as well, because if players move out of the darts tournament, then the next person just gets a buy straight into the next round, and you know, and they get, they get the, the money on the rankings and everything, so which is which is fine up to the final. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit exactly. of an anti-climax if that happens in a final. Yeah, eh? uh, yeah. If your if your opponent doesn't turn up and you're given a half a million pound check for winning it, well, you you better go and get your okay, train. Thank son. you. Right, thanks everybody. Enjoy chatting to Dundee. You you stay safe down do. there. And. <laughs> just to get you in the mood you <laughs> how easy is it to sing that with a swab up your nose <laughs> right I'll see you all later okay see you mate right now that the now that the archer's gone we'll move on to Dundee and that controversial game again as, as with the United I suppose it's only fair oh. Lee Griffiths, freak. Yeah, I, I did Something have to. Else, was it not George? Better than these two against Probably. England. Although it's obviously different context, a slightly different reaction uh, with five hundred <laughs> Aberdeen fans watching it rather than fifty thousand Scotland fans. Uh, <laughs> well, didn't seem to find I, them I was all. there for both of them, and I have to admit, uh, it's one of the only times I've celebrated in a press box is when he scored against England. And I did kind of yelp with surprise when that one smashed into the top corner uh, at Petodre, because uh, it, it was it was pr- it was brutal really the, the way he smashed it. Um, maybe just a wee reminder because I'd maybe given up on hope that he'd, he'd be able to find his his old self and find a bit of form, but maybe just a reminder to guys like myself that there's still something in there. Um, 
there's still real ability in that. I thought it's just trying to get him in the, the positions. Um, if you can hear that, it's started raining really heavily here, by the way. Oh, yeah. no. It's dark. I can see out my window. It's dark here. This is much more important than the football. <laughs> I'm going out later. I'll get soaked. Yeah. No, but back to Griffiths. And Barry, he seemed me, I mean, it was, in fairness, it was uh, the BBC sports scene that highlight, and they actually highlighted it. Mm-hmm. The goalie left a yeah. gap in the wall as if he wanted to see because yeah. of the ball. And he's probably thinking it's 30 odd yards out. Why? Griffiths was... picked that gap. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't by accident. I never saw the benefit of leaving a gap in a wall. And I see, I see keepers doing that. I would rather just take my chances, you know, and, and, and try to kick around the side of the wall, Tom, if you know what I mean, to see, what, see what's happening. Yeah. But what a strike. What a strike. A wee bit of cut on it as well, which took it away from Joe Lewis and Aberdeen going. And it shows that he, Griffiths obviously likes scoring against Aberdeen. He did it at Dens as well. But yeah. it shows that it's there. Griffith, you never lose that, Tom. But what Dundee need is, is it for it to come... To come to the come to the table more often for Lee Griffiths. I'm hoping that he got another. Did he, I think he played. You had to play for a full ninety minutes on Saturday, George. But there was any loves, <laughs> but that will have done him good. <laughs> that will have done him good. Unfortunately, we're now going into a, a, a wee a wee break. But hopefully, he can get get his fitness up a wee bit. Because I think that's all he really needs. He looks just a, a, a wee bit short on fitness. But when you've got a lad that can do that and has has that sort of ability, that could make a huge difference for Dundee if they can get him. He just needs to go on a wee purple patch. It's like Tony Watts done it, done it Motherwell. If, if, if Griffiths can find a, that wee spark over a, over a period of six or seven games for Dundee, that could make a huge difference in the second half of the season as to where they, where they finally finish up. Disappointingly, and I know James McPeak obviously had squad issues and et cetera, et cetera, but he did touch on the fact the lost, the lost poor goals. I think really disappointing after Griffiths had scored the lost one so quickly, so quickly. It was within sort of six or seven minutes, I think, George. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think yeah. Luke McKillen loses. It was a great run from Hedges, but Luke McKillen lets him run off him, and then whether Cami Kerr could have done better in the box or not, I'm, I'm not so, I'm not so sure. He might want to be careful where. It I was think at. maybe the the young lad Corey Panter maybe showed his yeah. experience because he he kind of pulled out the tackle. I think he maybe an older defender might have just taken yeah. Hedges down, taken a position and just. Second goal as well, starts away up on the halfway line again. You, you're missing Big Ashcroft. It's a ball that cut, is punted up the park halfway line. It's taken down on, you know, Liam, Liam Fontaine, Fontaine um, allows Aberdeen player to get the ball down and run off him and they go down the left-hand side. Whereas I would think Ashcroft would have just went through the ball and the player and it's either a free kick or he headers it back up the park. But then the, the, it comes bobbling across the box. They've got opportunities to clear it and they don't do that. And fair play to... Uh, uh, Lewis Ferguson, it's a, it's a terrific strike, but looking at it, I think maybe Adam Legsden might be a wee bit disappointed. Was it uh, the pace? I think more than anything else, it beat him because he got a hand on it. But when uh, it's pretty central, I think he, he'd be disappointed. It was similar to me to, to the goal he lost earlier on in the season in the Derby match, George, when uh, Ian Harks cut inside yeah. and he got a good hand to it, but it sort of went over the top of his glove and up into in the net. So yeah, from that point of view, I think I think Dundee can feel pretty much agreed because although Aberdeen had a lot of possession in the game, I don't think they really peppered Dundee's goal too much. So, uh, yeah. all in all, I, I, it's, it's another defeat, and it's 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 a it's one of these ones where I think the breaks come at a good time for Dundee Town because the last thing they were going to Livingston next game that was that was the schedule. No guarantee that they would have got anything there. You, you like to think they would have. 
And similarly for United, but I imagine if Dundee and Dundee United both lost their next two games or their next games against St Mirren for United and I think it's uh, Livingston for Dundee and they're going to the Derby match on horrific runs. Horrific. Yeah. The pressure that would have been on the managers going into those games. So, yeah. chance to regroup. Again, they the, the are needing one or two players. I'm sure James McPake would, would admit that, but I'm sure he is looking to bring someone in, but hopefully they can do something. George, we've spoken a lot about the circumstances of the, the game going ahead and in the end, it is another defeat, but is it is it one that James McPake can maybe rally the troops around? And footballers and sportsmen yeah. often like to feel that everyone's against them. And does it give them a focal point and say, "Well, let's show them"? I think they can definitely use it in that that way um, because they did put up a a good fight. They were right, right second half. They kind of faded away. I think Aberdeen bringing on their subs helped, which. Bit of fresh legs, Dundee. I know Dundee obviously didn't have that. The two <laughs> subs were <laughs> two subs were involved in the Show goal. Uh, but as Bear says, there wasn't it wasn't chance after chance after chance. Dundee didn't do much in the second half, but could have snatched something at the end. But they showed plenty of heart, plenty of spirit. Um, Jordan Marshall, I think, had only trained one day since he came back. Kubiak hadn't done any contact training since he'd come back. He'd played, even though he played off the bench the game before. Um, Corey Panther hadn't played a minute of league football at all. But they kept themselves... Aberdeen are decent and they kept themselves in that game that they could have snatched something. Um, there's definitely positives they can they can spin out of it in terms of the uh, attitude and application of the players. But I think January's coming at the right time uh, as well to get... James McPeaks, I think he said it's going to be a vital month. I think he knows he needs his squad needs a bit of help and a bit of uh, bit of quality added. To Obviously, the, the Lee Ashcroft they need to replace something of him before because it's going to be March time before he comes back. They need, certainly need to improve their their back line. Um, they've got the worst defence I think in the league still, which is it's the type of thing they can't really continue if you, if you want to stay up. The, the, they had that good run of form because they were keeping clean sheets. They've kind of stopped doing that again. Um, but they definitely need a bit of help. But from what, from the way he's talking, it does feel like he's looking at bringing in a number, like three, four, maybe even five. I don't know. He hasn't said a number, but he's he's been quite bullish in the fact that it'll be a diff- different looking Dundee team by the, by the end of January. Be a great news for the fans that, their intent on bringing people in and the money is there, <laughs> but with my usual sort of but attitude. Last time they were in the Premier League, Jim McLean. Jim McIntyre, yeah. Famous <laughs> the owner, uh, so Jim McLean. I don't McIntyre. know who's least popular at Dens Park. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Freudian slip. <laughs> oh, wait, wait till I compose myself. Yeah, Jim McIntyre discovered that even with money to spend on wages for players and maybe a few wee fees it's hard to get players to come oh yeah when you're down near the bottom isn't yeah, it i mean that was that was a, a slightly different scenario dundee were in, at that point in dire straits and I, I would suggest that's a lesson for james McPeak. i don't think he, he needs to go down that route there are areas of the team he definitely needs to strengthen there's no doubt about that but you see how short they are uh, in central defense with ashcroft being out you know they, they do need someone up top uh, a, a, a robust nature a bit more weight on them because Sillian Sheridan's uh, 
is going to be out for for the season. It looks like, and and they miss that. Every other team, you look around all the other teams. There, there are very few teams have just got you know diminutive a diminutive strike mm. force. And you, you quite a small a, team, probably the smallest. Yeah, you, you can't get away yeah. with that. And it, oh, you're right, George. And it helps defensively as well. If you've got a big lad mm. that can go back and do a job at corners, you know. So you, you has to bring a striker of a bit of weight as his number one priority. But I don't think he needs he needs you know, to go and, you know, if he's talking five, I'd say that, that that's probably more than I would suggest. I would rather mm. he, he could find the quality, if he could find himself a quality striker, which, is, let's be honest, is incredibly difficult. Everybody in the land's looking for a quality striker and Dundee's budget doesn't go as far as nearly as many teams have got to say. Um, so it's finding the right man and the right man who could maybe compliment Danny Mullen, the right man who could compliment certainly a Lee Griffiths who can maybe, you know, help him get more, more chances on goal. Um, middle of the park, yeah, they probably are needing, you know, I think somebody they need a bit extra more body, yeah, an extra body, but somebody maybe is a bit more attack minded, a bit more create, creative. But they've got guys coming back into that area. They've got uh, hopefully Sean Byrne isn't too far away. But we've seen uh, Jordan McGee coming back in. Charlie Adam, we know Charlie is is going to be in and in and out. You know, even you know he's, he can't play every single week as because because of his age. But again. He's so important to Dundee to get him on on the park because they pick up very few points when he's not in the team. And that's got to change. That's got to change, you know. So I wouldn't suggest this is a, they're in the yeah. sort of same sort of situation. And they're not as when James uh, Jim McIntyre, you know, made wholesale changes. And in the end term, it didn't... Also known as Jim McLean. Yeah, it, it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work for Jim McIntyre because he, he brought in boys and, and one or two of them were, were reasonable players. But when you're getting boys, trying to, trying to change the whole team at that point in the season. You know, you you really are up against that, um, and so so proved because you know Dundee eventually got relegated. In other news surrounding Dundee, George, you can cast light on this. Uh, I saw this thing that some some bookies had the oh, yeah. contacted the league about unusual betting patterns on bookings. That, in the yeah, that game before took me Christmas. by surprise. After that, because <laughs> it didn't seem that during that game. Sometimes you can you could tell when a player's trying to get booked if he's on a suspension and he wants to miss the easier game yeah or whatever but none of Once those seem particularly remember Willie Collin was the referee as well um, he's not always the most popular uh, yes. and he definitely wasn't popular amongst the Dundee players that night so it's a strange one um, I just I can't I remember Lee Griffiths got booked for dissent but you could see why because Willie Colm, I think, was a bit, yes, a bit annoying. Being Willie Colm. I'm sure Griffiths used a much worse word than that. And Max Anderson isn't the most subtle when it comes to uh, stopping the game with fouls and stuff. Um, and I can't remember the other two were like, but it didn't feel like there was anything untoward going on. It did occur to me, is this another case... Uh, of the bookmakers are willing to accept yeah. what you could describe as yeah. unsavoury bets because you're talking about someone breaking rules and uh, they'll they'll happily accept that for somebody kicking somebody but oh don't we don't want any unsavoury practices and they don't like it when they lose yeah i mean yeah the days of change tell where you just go in and put your money on a home or away or a draw you know there's booking there's there's betting on everything nowadays, and and people are a lot smarter smarter than me are looking at the optic stats, which are are there for everyone to see. 
you know, every week on who's doing what and who's, you know, how many corners teams are getting at set, how many penalties, shots at goal. And hey, George mentioned Max Anderson. We've mentioned in this podcast <laughs> if the one thing the lad has got to do during what's a brilliant season for him is just temper his yeah. tackling a wee bit. So somebody goes, well, if I'm betting on booking, yeah. if I was betting on a Dundee booking, I would bet well, on Max yeah, Anderson. I think, I mean, I think if you look back, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know, but... Dundee normally get about three or four bookings in a game. Yes. They do. I'm, I'm they do. I'm just, yeah, I'm just looking at the stats. Dundee have the most bookings in yeah, the entire there league. there you go. Aye. And by the way, as a, as as both as a former journalist and a and a fan, that's what I want to see. I don't want to see bookings, but I want to see, you have to say, temper it a wee bit, lads, because when things aren't going well, I want people putting their bodies yeah. on the line mm. and busting mm. their gut, and that that leads to bookings. Yeah. That's that's the nature. And I, of I the think I'll be watching Dundee. There's no way you could. They're, they're not a, a clogger, a clogger sort of team. They're not going out and hammering players. You know, I think Charlie Adams had a number of bookings, but the vast majority of them have been for, you know, just a wee tug back because Charlie can't, hasn't got their legs to get back anymore. So yeah, he, yeah. he takes a booking for the team yeah. sometimes, and here, yeah. except that that's part of the game as well. That's as I'm using his experience. Um, but uh, I think the bookies have probably just uh, taken a sore one. Somebody's had a look at the bookings and went, Dundee are good for four bookings a game. Get on that, you know. And uh, and well, uh, the referee being who he is as well. I think. <laughs> exactly. The combination was perfect. But I think, yeah, I, th- I think it was the 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 amount of money that had been put on it that's mm-hmm. that people are, the, the bookies want to have a look at. And I think they just want to investigate to see why, uh, rather than expecting maybe anything untoward to, to come out the other end. Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't expect anything to come of it because I honestly, no. I, no, no. I quite frankly, don't believe there is anything in it at all. But it, it does irk me at times, I have to say. And it's, uh, I never have much <laughs> sympathy for bookies. Um, <laughs> Well, I always loved it. I always loved when they started all these bets. I, I'm, yeah. I've never bet on anything other than the result of a game. It takes me to bet on a half-time, full-time result. But all these, all this thing about bookings and corners or free kicks. I loved the one about when the first throw-in would be, and then they were suddenly they, they were suddenly shocked that players started kicking the ball straight out from the from the from the, yeah. the kickoff. And I'm thinking, and, and they're like, oh, this isn't fair, but they were being greedy. Yeah. And when you're greedy, sometimes yeah. you get your fingers burnt. Aye. I remember one years ago, and it was the first the first sort of, the, the start of spread betting sort of thing. And I think it was an English Cup final, and it was, uh, as it was a David James that played in goal for Liverpool. Did he play? Was it David James? Yes, David no, James. He was the guy, the goalkeeper. Yes, David James. It was, yeah. And you were getting good odds for him to touch the ball outside the box um, on X amount of times. But what the bookies didn't take into account was that David James was, was a man for, when he got the ball, he didn't, uh, most keepers used to just kick it from the 18-yard box. He would roll it outside the box and then take the kick from five or six yards. And he, he just saw, this is this was just starting and the Hunter picked up on that and they took a real tank in that day, but only because somebody was, was keeping an eye on what David James was actually doing in games. But nowadays, bookies are all over it as well. You know that as soon as they see sort of mm-hmm. any heavy money going on on certain aspects, they'll they'll, they'll cut the odds straight away, and then they'll have a look and say, "Well, why, why did we not yeah. know that sort of Dundee were getting eight bookings in a game and Wally <laughs> Coleman's a referee? <laughs> we shouldn't have been putting odds up like that." You know, there's also is that I always wonder as well is there not an element of that too that they're all sitting down in England? Aye, there's a bit of that. Yeah, or sitting yeah, so yeah. or abroad. 
and they're, they're not really paying as much attention to Scottish football as they should. As, as mm-hmm. George says, Dundee are, Dundee are yeah. the most booked team. Mm-hmm. And the, well, yeah, I thought year, that. I thought that, that might be the case, but I'm glad you've come with this. The start man is gone. He's a bit <laughs> Ali Pali, but you've come up with a good one there. That's right enough. Every time Dundee must be a four, four, four in a game. So uh-huh. what was unusual with that, Tom? I mean, there must be an average in about four a game. What, so uh, what was unusual with on, that game? On. Just the money that's yeah. gone on it. Yeah, it would actually. It would have been nice if the league had come out and said we've been asked to investigate this. We've yeah. told the police yeah. to go away. Yeah, exactly, events. exactly. Because the sort of question, and because it broke in the press, I mean, everybody's looking at sort of Dundee and going, "Are you uh, looking at the boys that got sort of thing. stuff?" Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, boys, bo- boys that are, as I say, are putting in the kind of effort that mm-hmm. the fans want, no, and now no, they're getting a question that. mark over them. No, it was just, that was a strange one. <laughs> uh, it's a disgrace, yeah. I say. <laughs> Although yeah. I did make a million pounds with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, that's about it for 2021, lads. We made it. Well done. And I hope I hope you and got his train. And I hope he enjoys the darts with the fireman from Arbor. I don't remember his name, no. Who we wish all the best to. So be sure that's him. Oh no, it's Sophie Suter. <laughs> Alan Suter. Oh, that's your yeah. Willie. It's no fat bob, is it? <laughs> Alan Suter, yes. Good. Well, hopefully by the time this is out, he's a semi finalist or a finalist. <laughs> All the way. And gets a bye. Anyway, that's that, chaps. Well done. Don't forget to pick up your copy of the Tilly Monday to Saturday for all the latest from Dens and Tannadice or go to thetilly.co.uk to find out how you can get the paper delivered right to your door. If you like the podcast, we'd be grateful if you tell your pals about it or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. All that really helps people find Twa Teams One Street and that means a lot to us.